1: You better believe in what you're doing because you will go through these amazing swings of euphoria and then crashing down, sometimes in the same day, sometimes in the same morning. And what keeps you going with an even keel is the belief in what you're doing.
0: What are some key issues in the chocolate industry that we need to know about? When things get tough or when things feel a little slow for us, how can we stay motivated and just keep pulling through? That's just the tip of the iceberg that you'll hear today. Just a quick reminder here, if you'd like for me to send you a short email that I write myself uh, containing highlights from the podcast every Sunday, you can sign up at greendreamer.com. I look forward to sharing my biggest learning lessons with you and connecting with you there. And now on to our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today founded the bar chocolate brand Made Cass as a way to address poverty and international development through chocolate. And what sparked this idea was really a combination of his expertise in sales and marketing with his experience as a Peace Corps volunteer in Madagascar. So today, his mission is to change the way that the world experiences chocolate, from the cocoa farmer to the customer. Which, by the way, if you haven't already tried their bar chocolate, you have to. I'm obsessed. I mean, beyond the amazing things that the company is doing, their dark chocolate tastes freaking amazing. I can't even put it into words, but I'm addicted personally to the 92% dark chocolate, and I always need to have my home stocked with this bar chocolate, so make sure to try it out if you haven't already. Make sure to try the 92% one out if you are a fan of bitter, super dark chocolate like I am. But for now, let's hear directly from Made Cass's founder, Green Dreamer, starting with what inspired his passion for sustainable development. Here's Tim McCullum.
1: I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Madagascar right after college, and that was a great experience. Uh, I hadn't left the country really before then, so, or I had, but I'd never had experienced poverty before on that level. Um, So the passion for the business really started from a humanitarian perspective, mainly poverty. We wanted to figure out how we could improve the standard of living for people in Madagascar, which is about the 10th poorest country in the world. And over time, um, we've also figured out how to solve a pretty um, significant environmental problem. And one kind of led to the other, but it kind of started off for humanitarian reasons based off of our experience in the Peace Corps.
0: Yeah. Can you share one of your most touching memories from that experience?
1: Oh, wow. Um, You know what I'd say broadly? I think what's most moving about that experience You're an outsider. You go into a a remote part of the world where people live differently. They have different languages, different values. And at first, you're a stranger, right? You're an outsider. You know, they have a word for a foreigner. So that's what you're called. You're the foreigner. Um, And then over time, as you establish yourself in the community and you start to pick up the language and you develop relationships and friendships the local community really took me in and instead of calling me foreigner they started to call me different terms of endearment which are like uncle or cousin or brother so i just think that idea of you you show up in a village in the middle of madagascar people just call you foreigner and then within a couple of months they're calling you something with a lot of respect behind it it's it's a very moving experience and then you know a little more specific you just witness poverty at a level that, you know, unless you're in it, living in it, it's very hard to conceptualize what that's like for people. And, you know, in my case, it's you feel as though you have to do more than volunteer because volunteering is great, but it's not in and of itself a sustainable endeavor.
0: And going back to that piece about how they really took you in, what do you think it was that helped them to see you going from an outsider to being a part of the community? Do you think it was just you spending enough time there? Or what do you think it was that made that shift?
1: Yeah, this is I have to give all the credit in the world to the Peace Corps and how they set up the program. But a couple of things. So one is local language. You speak the local language, you learn it. Very few foreigners in Madagascar can speak the native language. Most people speak the colonial language, which is French. So to be able to speak local language is important. The other thing is we lived at the level of the people. Uh, Back then, our stipend was about $90 a month, which was actually quite generous compared to the members of the community where I worked. But it's not enough to have things like a television and a car and a phone. Um, It's just enough to eat and to get by but it forces you to live at the level of the people versus most NGOs or nonprofits come in and they, they they're not there long enough or integrated enough to speak local language. And um, you know, they, they drive around in SUVs. So it, those two things, living at the level of the people and being forced to speak the local language are to me, the two two things that make the biggest difference.
0: Yeah. So it's really about integrating yourself into the community and showing people that you're, trying to live the way they are, and you're trying to understand the way that they live.
1: Exactly. It's like you have to develop that perspective. You have to look at things the way they do. And I think in that effort is where you gain the respect. But it's something that you can't really fake, right? You can't fake learning a local language um, or showing up every day with with your neighbors and community members. It's something you do or you don't.
0: And then what was your journey like that led you to starting... So
1: that was, um, I'd say, a philosophical journey at first. I entered the Peace Corps very wide eyed and optimistic about volunteering. And I left with a uh, deep sense that the path to sustainability is through the private sector. Um, so I came back to the United States and I spent a company in sales and uh, marketing. But I'd never really, in those six years, A day never went by where I didn't think about Madagascar, and I ultimately wanted to take that private sector experience and apply it to something in Madagascar with the intention of having a sustainable business. So it was a very roundabout journey, started in the Peace Corps and then private sector, but always knowing, ultimately, I want to combine what works with the private sector with what the needs are in in a country like Madagascar.
0: Mm-hmm. And what was your biggest light bulb moment connecting the two? So like, what was your greatest learning lesson from the private sector that you then applied to?
1: No one, one singular moment. I know it's easy if there is. Um, but the reality is this, this has been a series of connecting dots after dot after dot. And there may be one or two things over the years that were very significant in terms of execution and figuring out how to do it. But it, it really has been an iterative Um, process of building up the business.
0: For sure. And what do you think has been one of your greatest challenges building up the brand?
1: So I I look at them in two ways because we're vertically integrated, which is very rare in chocolate. So I look at the supply chain and there's a, a number of challenges there. And then the brand building and the sales and distribution in the U.S., those are two entirely different businesses. So they both have their own sets of challenges and circumstances. Biggest challenges. On the supply chain side has just been execution right how do you zero to where you want to be um, without making too many mistakes along the way when there isn't a real template for what we're doing but some of the you know bigger breakthroughs there are relationships we've built with cocoa farmers and again these aren't things that happen overnight these are things that happen over uh, a three four five year period so relationships with cocoa farmers understanding how the private sector of Madagascar works, which is a lot different than the private sector here. Those have all been very hard challenges. And then in the US, it's really breaking through the clutter because there's no shortage of chocolate on the shelf. So getting our product to stand out and getting more consumers to pick it up. I mean, that's easily historically our biggest challenge. And I think will always be something that we're we're trying to do better and better.
0: So on the supply chain side, what is the supply chain of a typical chocolate brand look like? And what is Medicass's model able to accomplish by being more direct?
1: Good. So in terms of cocoa farmers, we're able to deliver 65% more income. And cocoa farmers are globally uh, below the poverty line. So more income has made all the difference in the world for about 85 farmers that we work with. We also have a lot more ownership in our model, meaning more sense of pride and accountability for cocoa farmers because they're also involved in other parts of the process. We get them into a chocolate making environment so they can see how chocolate's made and they take that back to the farm with them, which is something that is kind of impossible to do unless, unless you're vertically integrated. So those are that's one example. The other is just do the model of manufacturing at origin, which is our our ambition. So we've done that for about seven out of the nine years we've been in business. We're in the process of building a new factory in Madagascar. But the whole idea there is we're able to source other materials locally, not just the cocoa, but the packaging. And then the, all the value-added activity of manufacturing all happens in Madagascar, which means more values kept at origin.
0: For sure. There was an article recently from Bloomberg that said that Hershey is going to spend $500 million making more sustainable kisses. And on your social media, there was a comment saying that this kind of essentially treats the symptoms of poverty while ignoring the root cause. Can you kind of walk us through the reasoning behind this and what targeting uh, the root cause of poverty through chocolate could look like?
1: Yeah, so if you if you look at it, and this, this is pertaining to West Africa, right, where sixty five percent of the world's cocoa comes from, and West African cocoa farmers are are far worse off than your average cocoa farmer in Madagascar. So the issue is you have a you have a big company, and the goal is to source your raw material as efficiently and as um, inexpensively as possible. So the the price in West Africa for cocoa is about $1.80 per, which uh, a farmer can't live off of, right? So you have abject poverty throughout the cocoa farming regions of West Africa because the price paid to the farmer is so low. And the price paid to the farmer is so low because the cocoa is being used in products that are 90% milk and sugar. So, you know, a Hershey's Kiss or an M&M, Those aren't high quality products, so you don't want good cocoa, and you want to pay the least amount possible for it. So cocoa farmers are just in the position where, like, they're not being paid for their crop. So then everyone knows it, and then the proposed solution was, I think, five hundred million dollars into community development. But the real solution is just pay pay more for the raw material, and the problems start to go away.
0: So. Is there anything we as consumers can do to help inspire this sort of change in such large corporations?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, it all comes down in, in chocolate, like dark chocolate's better for you. So you should be eating more dark chocolate, it has less sugar, which means that the product's healthier. It also means there's going to be an emphasis on how good is the cocoa. So certainly eating darker chocolate helps the cause quite a lot. And then start to understand as a consumer some of the dynamics. We don't expect everyone to who eats chocolate to really understand the supply chain, but just knowing what's behind you know the company that you're supporting with your purchase and that every time you spend a dollar as a consumer or buy a product, you're enabling a company to stay in business. So, you know, make sure it's a company that you believe in.
0: For sure. And for me personally, I've never really been loyal to a specific chocolate brand until I came across Madacas. And I always have to have your 92% dark chocolate <laughs> like stocked at home. Um, So it's delicious. And I know that it's stocked at a bunch of major retailers in the United States like Whole Foods. What do you think has been key to Madacast's growth in terms of like the market in the United States and just it becoming established as a chocolate brand in spite of all this competition?
1: We're not there yet. So we're, we're still establishing ourselves, but it's happening and it's, it's really exciting to see. So part of the success is having really good retailers and good relationships, people who understand the brand and the mission and want to support that. So Whole Foods is a great example. They're, they're a terrific partner. The other is as a brand, it doesn't matter if it's chocolate or any product, you've got to get some fundamentals right around your price point and how you promote and what your packaging looks like. And early on, we didn't do a very good job of that. More recently, we have. So we start to see the impact there. But it's not overly complicated, but you have to make sure you do, you, you get some of the fundamentals right. And then for us, you know, it's always about the, the quality. There's a very unique type of cocoa from Madagascar. And the the quality is, is among the best in the world. So we wouldn't want to do this, you know, take on this project with an average product or an average type of chocolate, we want to make sure that it's among the very best in the world. So in our case, you know, it's basics like the packaging and the price point, but taking it much further is, is really going into product quality and delivering something that literally changes the way people think about chocolate when they're exposed to it.
0: So knowing everything that you know now, if you were to start all over again, what would you do differently to help ensure that you have the fundamentals down in the beginning?
1: That's a great question. In some ways, it's like impossible to answer (laughs) because you don't get that opportunity. And I would also say if I knew how hard it was going to be and all the challenges in terms of executing what we're doing, like, we probably wouldn't have tried this. Mm -hmm. That said, we couldn't be happier with what we've been able to achieve. So you you don't going into a, a new business, you don't always want to know what you don't know, because it might actually prevent you from trying. But in our case, like if we, if, if we went back to the end and could do it all over, we would just have a better idea of the market that we were trying, um, to tackle. We didn't have much market experience. So here in the U S, we didn't really realize how big the opportunity was and how to scale quickly. We didn't do things in the beginning very well, like raise money or get the right people involved in the business who were a lot smarter than we were. We didn't do that early on. And I think that's where a lot of startups probably misstep as well.
0: So let's say if you were giving advice to someone who's just starting out, what would you tell this person?
1: Well, especially in the context of like a sustainable or social impact business, you know, I'd say you better believe in what you're doing. you, You can't feign belief because you will go through these amazing swings of like euphoria and then crashing down, sometimes in the same day, sometimes in the same morning. And what keeps you going with an even keel is the belief in what you're doing. That's probably the most important thing. And you've got to be honest with yourself because, again, you cannot fake that. The other thing I always tell people is reach out and find as many people as you can who are a lot smarter, more qualified to be doing the job that you're doing. Because as an entrepreneur, almost by definition, especially if it's your first business, you're not qualified to be doing what you're doing. So find the people that are, listen to everything they say, and then find that eight to 10% of what they say or what they're advising that makes sense for the business that you've been put on this planet to build. Because you can't just take advice from qualified people and copy it. You've really got to figure out what's the right advice for the business that you're trying to build.
0: So it's really a strong belief in what you're doing. And um, I feel like as entrepreneurs, a lot of times we're control freaks and want to do everything our way, but it really helps to listen and learn from other people.
1: Yeah. Get those people involved in the business as fast as you can and listen to them, but also know what's going to work, what percentage of the advice or you always find little nuggets that are like very, very important to your business.
0: And kind of taking a step back, looking at the chocolate industry, what are some key insights and issues that we should know about as consumers?
1: So globally with chocolate, we kind of touched on it, but uh, cocoa farmers don't make enough money farming cocoa to keep farming cocoa. And they're 5,000 miles away in other parts of the world, in Africa and Latin America, but the, the, the people responsible for harvesting the crop and growing the crop that feeds the chocolate industry are not taken care of. Um, I wouldn't say that they're intentionally abused or left behind. It's just the way that the industry has been built up over the last 150 years. So I just understand where the cocoa comes from and the conditions of the people who harvest it is probably the first thing. The other thing is our pallets – In the u.s have been watered down over the years because we primarily grew up on milk chocolate which is 90 percent milk and sugar and there's a growing awareness of what dark chocolate is and how it ought to taste and it is much much better than the product you know or the products that have been available before this point so it's really understanding the the conditions of the supply chain and where where cocoa comes from but then also what makes a good, a good uh, chocolate bar good.
0: So as individuals, as consumers, it's really just asking more questions, learning, you know, what this company is all about before buying chocolate from them.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, it's a bit of an impulse buy too, because you might not go into a store expecting to buy chocolate. And then the next thing you know, you're walking out with chocolate. But if you have it at home with you, like, yeah, I mean, it's just, I would say chocolate's a sensitive product, the way that something like coffee is, where it originates from an underdeveloped part of the world where people are quite poor. So you should have some type of idea uh, about you know, the brand that you're buying. You should have some idea about what they're what they're trying to do in the world.
0: And then taking a step beyond the chocolate industry, what do you think we need most to help address poverty and support sustainable development in our world today?
1: Um, you need businesses and entrepreneurs that care and that hopefully set up the business from day one to solve the social problem and not businesses that think it's good marketing to pretend that they're solving a problem. So those are two, two very different scenarios. Um, so I'd say we need more entrepreneurs and more, more companies that go into business to solve a social problem
0: And how do you think we can inspire more entrepreneurs to build this into a core part of their company? Is it just more awareness across uh, the world about all the issues that we have?
1: I think it's already happening. I mean, it's definitely happening. So think about how privileged our country is and people who are, are fortunate enough to be born here and come up through a decent education system and a window into all parts of the world that even when I was a child, like we didn't know about. So there's a sense of awareness and knowledge that exists today that didn't exist 30 years ago. And I think with that comes kind of the human impulse or desire to do something about a bad situation. So I feel as though there's a huge convergence between nonprofit and traditional um, for-profit businesses And you get a company like ours, which is for profit, but started to to solve a social problem. I I think that trend is happening and will continue to get stronger and stronger.
0: Yeah, well, that's super exciting. Um, What's an upcoming project for your company that we can look forward to and support?
1: Uh, So, as I said earlier, we're in the process of building a new factory in Madagascar. It should be ready in uh, September and... We'll be launching new products next year, but I would always encourage people to follow us on Instagram. Look for the product in Whole Foods. We're always doing interesting things, but uh, you know, the biggest is the factory we're in the process of building. And then we'll publish a transparency report towards the end of uh, this year that really walks people through data points and specifics about the people in our supply chain and the impact that we make.
0: Awesome. And where can we find all of this information online and on social media? Where can we follow you?
1: So on our website, which is Madecast.com, you can get anything from there. And it's the same thing at Madecast is our Instagram and uh, Facebook page.
0: Before we go into our final five tips for you, I just wanted to thank you for everything that you do and stand for. You're here because you're driven to help us work towards a healthier planet for us all and that's super inspiring. I just want to acknowledge you for that. And if you have similarly passionate human beings in your life that you love and want to support, please do share this episode with them if you feel like it'd be helpful to them as well. I really hope that together we can just inspire and uplift more people within this space so we can all accelerate forward. And for now, on to our final five and key takeaways. Let's power through. What's an inspiring publication or a social media account you follow?
1: National Geographic.
0: Uh, What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired?
1: Uh, That's a good one. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Just you focus on, you can focus on a lot of things, right? You just focus on, you have to be aware of what's what's going poorly and what's wrong in the world, but focus on what you're doing to fix it and the incremental gains that you make.
0: Mm-hmm. What's one must-do for your health, either daily or weekly?
1: Uh, so for me, that's yoga, pull-ups, push-ups.
0: Um, what's one simple action we can take for our planet's health this week? Walk. <laughs> what makes you most hopeful for our planet right now?
1: So... It has to do with the earlier comment about focusing on the good things as humans we usually get it right so it's this faith in humanity it might take us a long time and we may really mess something up or do it the wrong way but eventually over time we use the same ingenuity we used to make something bad to fix something and make it better
0: mm. and what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers
1: uh, don't judge. So take action. And by action, I don't mean be an activist, but put that energy into fixing problems versus bringing attention to problems. Um, always consider and understand like everyone has the individual freedom and ability to solve problems. And that's much better than simply being an activist and bringing attention to problems.
0: Talk to raise awareness and then go beyond that to taking action. Green Dreamer, here are my two key takeaways from this episode. Number one, as entrepreneurs or creatives on a mission to address some sort of bigger issue that we face today, we have to know and strongly believe in what we're doing. When things get tough, and they will inevitably get tough, it's just a reality and part of the game, what's going to keep us going is our sense of purpose and belief in the difference that we can ultimately make. So get clear on what that picture looks like to you you and draw on your motivations and your vision when you feel like things are going slow or when things aren't going the way that you want them to just remember your motivations and why you're here remember your why you're here for a reason Number two, to get people to listen and to collaborate effectively with people who are different than us, we have to first earn their respect. And to do that, we have to show that we're making conscious efforts to understand and see the world in ways that they see the world, that we're open to learning from them we're open to meeting them exactly where they are and if it's cross-cultural to try to learn their language i feel like in today's globalized world where people of all different backgrounds and beliefs are all of a sudden connected it's easy to get stuck focusing on our differences but when we have a bigger mission on the table like working towards a healthier planet for everybody I think it's really crucial that we learn how to work harmoniously together with people who are so different than we are. And that begins with mutual understanding and mutual respect, like Tim has shown us in regards to how he was able to go from being an outsider to being a trusted insider within the communities that he worked at in Madagascar. And there, that's a wrap for this episode. You can find the show notes at greendreamer.com slash 38 and follow me on Instagram at Shane, K-A-M-E-A-C-H-A-Y-N-E, where I share some behind the scenes of producing this podcast, ongoing updates, inspirations, and so forth. So yeah, I look forward to connecting with you there. And for now, just remember, now more than ever, Our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and Green Dreamer, I will catch you later.